This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to the new podcast from Shares and AJ Bell. I'm Dan from Shares Magazine, and today I'm with Laura from AJ Bell. Hi there. And Tom from AJ Bell. Hello. So each week, we plan to bring a roundup of all the money and market news that we found interesting in the past seven days. So first up this week, we're going to talk about how you cope with a market sell-off, how much cash is too much to have in your pension, and who Marcus is and what he's going to do to your savings accounts. So the poor old markets over the last few, I guess, last few weeks and months, or even this year, have not been particularly great. Um, And so investors have probably had to experience some pretty nasty days having a look at their portfolios. Um, And it sort of begs the question, what do you actually do when the market is falling? Um, I think the immediate uh, thought for a lot of people is to panic and sell. (laughs) And that probably is the wrong decision. That's just kind of human nature, though, isn't it? Oh, God, I've lost loads of money. I'm going to panic and sell. Yeah. I mean, it is a bit frustrating. People tell you all the time the best times to buy or make investments is when everyone else is fearful, but it really is quite hard. Uh, And I had a good look at Mm. social media, I was looking at Twitter, to see what people were talking about on on one of the big days that we had recently when the market was falling. And actually people were talking about, I wish I was in cash. No one was talking about, oh my God, these are the things I'm going to buy. It's that's hard. so interesting. I think actually yeah. that's something that we definitely saw after the referendum vote, wasn't it? That initially there was a really big sell-off, and that's probably the biggest sell-off that we've had um, in recent times. Uh, initially there was a really big sell-off, and then immediately loads of buyers came into the market and were picking up those bargains, and it meant that on that one-day drop it rebounded pretty quickly. I mean, it's the idea of that if you if you got stocks that are on sale but if you go into uh, like i say a clothing shop uh, and you see everything on half price you get you get pretty excited don't mm-hmm. you and you think okay well, i see what i can buy but actually i don't know if people really look at stocks in that way as well they're probably fearing well it may be half the price a day but what could it be tomorrow could it be even lower but you don't go into a shop and think okay something's on sale mm. i'll come back tomorrow thinking it's lower i think people do think of it in a, in a different way and perhaps they're more fearful with it um when seeing something's lower priced with investments and they're excited when they see something cheap for yeah i think if you go into a shop and you see something that's half price you don't ask the question why is this half price you just think bargain great you might think that it's not sold too well or something like that but if you like it and you're happy to have it then you'll go for it whereas i think with an investment some of it for a lot of normal field people it kind of feels a little bit um intangible doesn't it and if if the price has dropped significantly you might think oh hold on there's something going on here that i don't know about that means it's not worth any money anymore and i don't want to touch it with a barge pole yeah, I mean, I know maybe it's dashed down to experience that if, if you've been through one of these sort of big shocks in the market mm, before, yeah. perhaps you can look back. Um, I mean, I know, say, the market's been rising for 10 years, really, and so or nine or 10 years, and, and so there are going to be a lot of people who, who've never seen a sort of a, 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 sort of a big wobble. Um, I and mean, I know from personal experience in, in 2015, when everyone was suddenly worried about mm. um, China for a few weeks, I had some investments and I stupidly panicked and sold um, came Brexit vote. Actually, I, p- I picked some stuff mm. up in the in the in the downturn. Actually, proved out to be pretty good. But yeah. um, you know, it's easy to sit here and talk about these wise decisions. But um, when it's you know, when you you know perhaps inexperienced, it's really hard to mm. to know exactly what to do. 
So back to your original question then, in a market sell-off, what should investors do then? Is there an argument that some of the time kind of selling to to cut their losses is a good idea or should they hold on for the long term? Well, I think it's, it, it's all down to your personal circumstances and what you need that money for. Um, if you've been trading the markets and you was hoping to make a quick buck, I don't know, you can perhaps understand why people are just going to cut their losses perhaps if they've not done well. But you know, if you're a real serious mm. long-term investor uh, and you, in your personal circumstances warrant you being able to keep that money in the markets, uh, you know, you, you sit tight. That's exactly what people should do and, and not get worried about so talking about kind of having cash on the sidelines, uh, a lot of people have built up large cash piles in their mm. pensions. So Tom, how much cash is too much cash to have in your pension? Oh, interesting question. Um, as Dan said earlier, it, the amount of cash and the amount of risk that you want to take with your portfolio will obviously depend on your own personal circumstances and what you think is going to happen in the markets. Um, there was some interesting work done by the FCA quite recently in relation to how much cash people held in their pension pots at certain periods of time. So the FCA, there's two bits of work. One was the FCA's Retirement Outcomes Review and the other was the Platforms Market Study. And those pieces of work looked at exactly how much cash people had in their drawdown pots at certain points in time. So if they were, rather than buying an annuity to secure an income over time, if they were having their money invested through drawdown, how much of that money was held in cash. So they found that about a third of customers who weren't taking advice had were wholly holding cash what their, their entire pension was in cash yes wow. so there are some reasons why that might be the case with non-advised drawdown customers so you might have you might have some money in cash because you need to pay fees you might have money in cash because you're in drawdown you need to have some money to pay for your income needs and stuff like that you might have some money in cash because you're worried about the future and you just don't want to take any stock market risk at all but clearly the fca is concerned and it's right to be concerned about this is that there might be people who are holding cash over a long period of time and potentially missing out on those long-term returns that you can get from stock markets if you are a patient investor and quite interestingly actually i've never seen the fca do this they put a number on it so they said that over a 20-year period in drawdown someone could increase their expected annual income by 37 percent if they invested in a mix of assets rather than just holding cash at one period of time now clearly those numbers are going to change depending on your own personal experiences but it was pretty obvious that the message the fca is trying to get out to consumers is don't just hold your money in cash over a long period of time because particularly with inflation back in the economy and we've seen inflation numbers today inflation is somewhere between two and three percent at the moment you're going to be locking in real terms losses and so I kind of I get why some people would have some cash in their mm. pensions to pay those charges. Um, they might even have a bigger chunk of it because they're a bit risk averse or mm. their pot is smaller or they're yeah. heavily reliant on that. But why would people have 100% of their cash in their pension? Is that just that they're not engaged with it or are they really scared of a kind of market downturn? There could be all sorts of reasons why people would have their entire pension pot um, held in cash. They could have moved all their money from one provider to another provider, for example. So the FCA's piece of work, it looked at just one moment in time. And so say if you've, I don't know, if you've completed a defined benefit transfer to a defined contribution scheme, you haven't picked your assets yet, then you might automatically be put in cash. And so I think the FCA's concern and the concern generally, I think, for people interested in the market isn't isn't that people might have some money in cash at one point in time. The concern is if people are doing that over long periods of time. And we've seen uh, we've seen some issues around that as well um, in relation to the pension freedom. So some people have taken out their entire pension pot and rather than 
um, well, A, rather than using that to spend on the things you want to spend it on, they're paying extra tax on that money. And also, some of them are putting that money straight into a bank account simply because they don't trust the idea of pension. They don't, they don't like the idea of holding their money in a pension. They don't particularly know why they don't like the ha- having the money in a pension, but they'd rather have it somewhere else. And for those people, the risk is that they're going to pay a load of extra tax, which they don't have to pay, and then they're going to end up missing out on long-term investment returns because they've just shoveled it into a bank account, which might be playing them nothing. And I imagine that part of this is also that kind of like headache of dealing with life admin. So you you transfer Mm. that money and you think, God, I really need to invest that or I really need to work out where I'm going to invest that money. And then it seems like quite a big task and quite a big decision. And so you think, oh, well, I'll do that next month. And it's just one of those things that kind of gets pushed to the back of the to-do list. Yeah, and if you're you're moving your money from one pension plan to another, I think the, the key message is to make sure you think about this stuff before you do it. So when you transfer your money over, you might be out of the market for a little bit. But presuming you want to stay invested for the long term, which most pension investors do, most drawdown investors do as well, then you don't want to move your money and then be sat in cash and just forget about it because you might potentially be missing out on some serious amounts of money. What if you if you do want to have some cash and you mm. take it out of your pension and think, well, I still want to have it um, getting some sort of return. Mm. I, I mean... There's some guy called Marcus who seems to have popped up in the news. Uh, seems to be, I don't know if you've looked at this, Laura. Is, is Mar- this guy, Marcus, has all the answers for us? He's going to make us all richer. This is the Goldman Sachs. So Goldman Sachs has got all the answers yeah. to everything. That's good. I've never heard that before. It's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, so Marcus is the new kind of retail bank from Goldman Sachs. So traditionally, obviously, Goldman Sachs is known for being American, but mm. it's also known for being a kind of big, complicated investment bank. But it's now... Well, a few years ago, it launched a retail bank in the US, and now it's done the same here. And it's offering market-beating savings rates. Um, It's 1.5%, so we probably shouldn't get too excited, but that is a pretty good rate for Mm -hmm. recent years. Still below inflation, but it's quite easy access. You can save up to a quarter of a million pounds in there. Um, You can take money out when you want to. Um, It does have a small bonus as part of that 1.5% for the first 12 months. So after a year, your rate's going to drop a bit and you might need to switch. Um, But it's already had a bit of an impact in the savings market. So where previously lots of providers were offering pretty puny amounts, Mm. a lot of them have increased their rates since Marcus came to market. I also noticed this week that there's been five months in a row increase for no notice savings rates. Um, it's quite interesting now that, again, whilst the rates aren't very good, the direction of travel is certainly up. Mm. Um, perhaps as you expect, as the Bank of England has been pushing up its interest rates. But also, um, or perhaps a bit odd, is the fact that some mortgage rates have actually been falling. You would have thought that they would be going up in line. Um, but actually, I think this is something to do with competition in the market. Um, a lot of providers simply want to sort of try and attract remortgaging business and try and sort of hook people in. And whilst it, we're talking about two-year fixed rates here in terms of them uh, becoming cheaper, I guess they're hoping for, you know, once someone's moved, they think, I oh, can't be bothered and hassle of doing that again. And you just stay with someone forever. So, uh, you know, for all, for all the boredom of the cash market, there's actually some, there's a lot of movement going on at the moment. So Yeah, definitely. And I think the Bank of England raising interest rates has definitely helped the cash savings market a bit. I mean, a lot of providers didn't pass that on where on the mortgage side of things they immediately passed on that rate rise. So that crunch savers a bit there. But there's definitely better deals. It's just a case of shopping around. You can't assume that you can kind of just leave your savings in the current savings account that you signed up to two years ago and it'll still be paying a good rate. You can get up to 5% on some of these mm. accounts, but you, they kind of have slightly onerous, they're regular 
regular savers who pay in a certain amount and um, you quite often have to open like a linked current account to them. But if you do put in a little bit of work, you can boost your savings, particularly if you've got significant yeah. cash savings. Yeah, my dad, my dad swears by that. So my, my dad for years has been an obsessive shopping shopper around a, a rate. A he's, man after my own heart. <laughs> <laughs> he's brilliant. He's like a Kendall-based Martin Lewis type figure. And he, he I think he's he's managed to get guaranteed returns from those from those pots by switching over and over again of somewhere between three, four, five percent or something like that. Now clearly it takes a lot of admin. Most people don't have as much spare time as my dad. Um, but if you've got the spare time to do it, then you can shop around cash markets and really get yourself a decent deal. Mm, you can. And I think some of it is just a case of investing kind of 20 minutes at the start, setting up some direct debits yeah. um, and then setting reminders on your on your phone or on your calendar that in a year's time that rate's going to expire and you need to switch it up then. Well, this is the also perhaps links to some wage growth figures that have come out. Mm. Um, so if we're talking about potentially getting a slightly better return on your on your cash, potentially paying a slightly lower rate on a mortgage. What about your wages? Is it, are we, have we got some good news there? I have. I rarely have good news, but I've got good <laughs> news. Um, we've have had our biggest pay rise since February two thousand and nine. That's great news, isn't it? Well, is is this is it uh, quite as good news as we think? No, or? no, the devil's in the detail. It's not really as good news as I first pitched. Um, so wages grew at the fastest rate for nearly ten years, um, and so they've grown a, a bit over three percent, which is really good because obviously inflation has been really high recently, and wages haven't been higher than inflation. So what that means is the price of the things that you're buying is effectively higher than the amount your wages are going up. So that's switched now, um, which is great. But the the downside is that a large part of that increase is attributed to or a part of that increase is attributed to um, the public sector pay cap being kind of shifted slightly and so then that's pushed wages up so it might be a small blip and it might actually only be affecting a few people but let's not take away from the great headline yeah. great positive headline I mean it, <laughs> there's one other thing that caught my eye this week um, she's back on to the stock market it was actually how cultural differences are affecting some London listed stocks. Um, there's a really popular company. I don't, I don't know if you know, but if you follow AIM, there's a, lots of people like this business called Keyword Studios and they, and they do some computer game services stuff. Um, they do, they, they sort of, they're profiting from being lots of cultural differences around the world. Um, I'll give you an example. In Germany, they've got some really strict rules about what can go into a computer game. You can't actually have red blood. Uh, it's got to be green. Um, oh, and you also can't have any um, sort of humans sort of being beaten about or, or right. blown up. You've got to, they switch it to robots. But this idea of understanding these cultural differences it's a bit of a challenge for lots of businesses. And the one that caught my eye this time around is, is Merlin, which you mm. perhaps best known as running Alton Towers and sort of Lego Land. I mean, this is sort of the home of family entertainment. But actually, I had a bit of a shock when I was scrolling through its financial results. Um, it started to talk about dungeons. I was thinking, what on earth is going <laughs> on here? Um, I mean, you might see something like with Games Workshop talking about sort of weird and wonderful sort of fantasy figures and stuff. Mm. But um, good old Merlin, well, what it's actually been doing is it's launched a dungeon attraction in China. Um, but it's not quite the one which you might expect if you've been to something like the London dungeons. Because um, Merlin says that Chinese regulations mean it can't have any blood. There's no gore or no ritual humiliation of customers. So, um, so next time you actually I'm not going. No, <laughs> sounds rubbish. No humiliation. Yeah. Not interested. Well, so next ne next time you think about sort of leisure companies having a really easy time, so all they do is just make playful stuff. Uh, spare thought for some of these development teams who are obviously having to uh, jump through a few more hoops than you you might think. 
but thanks anyway that's all for this week uh, if you've got any comments tips or areas you want us to talk about then please do email us on podcast at ajbell.co.uk if you enjoyed the podcast please do leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast thanks thanks thank you before you go please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not if you want help go see a qualified financial advisor the podcast talks about various money issues just don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it you should also recognize that how an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future and that tax rules apply 